Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to the latest Around the World in 20 Minutes, where we try to make sense of the beguiling new planet we find ourselves on. And off we go. We are one year away from the U.S. election, and there's a new set of numbers out, and there's nothing better than getting political risk right. Again, I have the revolutionary view that we should be meritocratic and held to our predictions, which would mean the end for most of my competitors. Uh, but I want to make it very clear that our call of late September that Donald Trump would win the U.S. election in 2024 is looking better and better and better, and that we've reached peak Biden. And there's a new set of numbers a year out that kind of prove the point. The New York Times, and again, it can't be more ironic that the New York Times card-carrying member of the Democratic Party uh, released a series of poll numbers uh, showing that Trump leads Biden in five of the six battleground states uh, likely to determine who is president. And these states are Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, and Wisconsin. And of those six, Biden is ahead and only by two points in Wisconsin. An average of the six has Trump ahead outside the margin of error, 48 to 44 and Biden pretty much has to run the table with those six states. Uh, certainly he has to win Pennsylvania, which he's losing, Michigan, which he's losing, Georgia, um, which he's losing, and Arizona, which he's losing at the moment. And sure enough, the Democrats came out in a full panic. David Axelrod, who was the kind of strategic brain behind Barack Obama's two election victories for president, gently issued a statement today saying that, yes, undoubtedly Joe Biden could win the nomination, but is it really in the country's interests, meaning the Democratic Party's interests, for him to do so? And this is this is big, carrying member of the Democratic Party establishment has gone on record saying, Joe, the door's there, gently saying you really ought to walk through it, because these numbers are really, really hard to swallow and that the New York Times came up with numbers and I've got Nate Cohen yesterday trying to make say things aren't that bad just makes me laugh hysterically talk about schadenfreude that great German word which means to take pleasure in someone else's misfortune I had a huge dollop of schadenfreude yesterday watching the Democrats reassure themselves as they whistle by the political graveyard that these numbers aren't bad they're catastrophic they're catastrophic. And the crosstabs, if you look down, the numbers are even worse. That where Biden is really losing support or among people who don't follow elections day to day, um, that the support is down, that he's down to independent voters, that he's down with people who say plague on both your houses. I dislike both Trump and Biden, which is probably a majority of the country. The Trump is ahead in this category. And strikingly, Donald Trump is doing very well with African-American voters. And again, the Democrats need to win somewhere around 85 to 90 percent, 90 being the more operative number of African-American voters. Trump is winning an unprecedented in this poll, the New York Times poll, around 20 percent of all African-American voters and more uh, among African-American males. And this is an unprecedented number in modern American history. This is just the death knell of the Biden administration if they can't move that number in a significant way, an awful lot of points, about 10 points up to even have a chance at winning. Among Hispanics, 
Biden's lead is only single digits, where again, it ought to be in healthy double digits that last time they won this by 15 to 20%, and it's down to single digits. That among young people who don't vote in large numbers, but are overwhelmingly voting for Democrats, that Biden is only ahead by one percentage point. This is also a disaster. So among groups that are part of Biden's cohort that he absolutely has to win overwhelmingly, Hispanics, African-Americans, particularly African-American males and young people, he's underperforming across the board. And, and so you see that coalition begin to splinter. And that's that's the de- if that continues, it's the death knell for the Democrats and Biden for the presidency next time. And again, alarm bells are ringing that David Axelrod, hey, 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 something that seems to be ranked treachery. I'm sure Axelrod saying, saying, saying this only to try to save the Democratic Party, uh, that Biden ought to reconsider running. Uh, these numbers are, are the reason why, because the people are speaking. Again, we called this two months ago. And why did we get this right? Well, there's a new reason that Joe Biden is in trouble beyond all the other reasons that we, we mentioned last time, and we'll quickly go through them and then end with the, the new reason. One of the things that's happened to Biden, and again, the problem we said, Biden is at his peak level of support, and his, his approval rating is only 41% barely in the real clear politics aggregate of polling averages, a rule of thumb in D.C. and, and what staffers talk about from my days there. If a president is over 60%, like FDR or Reagan in their their salad days, they can do whatever they like. If a president is below 40%, uh, he's trying to squelch rumors that he's dead, and like Bill Clinton, trying to pretend he's relevant after the Gingrich uh, Revolution. Um, And Biden at 41 means he's on life support. He's barely functional and viable. The problem for the Democrats is that even lower than Kamala Harris's numbers the person who would be most likely to take over for Biden normally, her numbers are even lower, so that doesn't solve the problem. Among many progressives, the idea was, we'll put Biden in in 2020, and he has a better chance to win than Bernie Sanders, and so the Democratic Party establishment coalesced around Biden in the South Carolina primary. Representative Clyburn puts him over the top because he can get to moderate voters, working class voters that might vote for Trump in a way that that Bernie Sanders and the progressive left just can't win. And that calculation was rewarded with victory. The second part of the calculation, though, was that Biden will serve one term, detoxify the atmosphere from Trump, get his gold watch, be sent to retirement. And with a progressive like Kamala Harris in place as VP, she will logically ascend to the White House in the 2024 election. And that was sort of the base progressive strategy going into it. Well, the first part worked, but the second part hasn't. And that that's the problem. There is no easy successor. And Kamala Harris, is, whose numbers are into the Charles Manson, Ted Bundy category in the low 30s for her approval rating, as she fails at every job she's been given, most notably not having ever visited the southern border despite being put in charge of immigration uh, by President Biden, Um, cackling at NASA conferences with staged events with children. Uh, I mean, it's it's not a classy operation. And having most of her staff leave, that's always a bad sign in D.C. Judge a person by whether their staffs are loyal to them or not. It will tell you what kind of human you're dealing with. Um, For all these reasons, Kamala is seen 
as an unmitigated disaster. So the progressive plan goes out the window. To replace Biden, you would really have to primary things. And this is very late in the day to get people's names on ballots. But somebody like Governor Whitmer of Michigan or Governor Newsom, who's circling um, Biden like a shark in the water, the governor of California, uh, terrible record in California, but very telegenic and, and light on his feet. Certainly, he'd be a great welcome contrast, at least in a media way, to Biden. They would have to primary Kamala Harris, and this would cause dissension within the Democratic Party because the progressives who are identitarian, the reason Harris got picked was not because of merit, and this is where they're hoist by their ideological petard. If what you care about is what somebody looks like rather than what they think, if you are inherently unmeritocratic in her identitarian and outlook, so she ticks the boxes, she's a woman of color, tick, she's from California, tick. Um, this is who we want. To, this is what we want the president to look like rather than people bothering to look at her record. Now you're in trouble because if you get rid of her, everybody in the Democratic Party, particularly the identitarians on the left, are going to be outraged if you get rid of uh, Kamala Harris and put in place another white man. Um, certainly this isn't how I feel as a Republican who has the revolutionary view that merit above all is what matters. Um, but that's not the view of the identitarians of the Democratic Party. Again, political risk is about looking at things that are and analyzing people who aren't you. And in this case, clearly, they would be very unhappy if a woman of color was once again, you know, ignored and instead you, you parachute in a white man to run. And that defeats the whole purpose of this progressive strategy in the first place. So there would have to be a primary. There would have to be bloodletting between, say, Newsom and Harris. And one of those sides is going to leave, particularly Harris, I think she'd lose to Newsom. But that would leave the progressive left with very, very bruised feelings indeed. They're 20 to 25 percent of the party. They're where the energy in the party is. And if you lose 20 to 25 percent, they don't have to vote for Trump. They just have to stay home. And if a small number of these people stay, stay home, you still lose. So even the, the kind of exit strategy is very dicey because this progressive plan uh, that underlay Biden winning last time is in smithereens. And it's not just because of Biden's failings, but also because of Harris's failings. So there is no easy way out here. And I think that's a key fact that nobody about that we need to address. But yes, we're at peak Biden. And we went through this before that Biden at 40 0.5%, so just with the rounding 41%, just above the comatose rate politically, everything about Biden will only get worse. The economy will not improve. Trump is up over 20 points over Biden in these new polls as to who's better able to handle the economy. It's just baked into the cake now that Biden spent money coming out of COVID like a drunken sailor. We had a huge spike in, of inflation. He doesn't get credit for bringing down a spike that he caused in the first place. That's like rewarding an arsonist for calling the police after he sets a fire, and people just don't buy that. And so baked into the cake of average people is that Trump, pre-COVID, managed a roaring economy with deregulation, tax cuts, and the country booming, and cru cru crucially, working-class people for the first time in a generation were beginning to catch up to the rich in terms of income inequality. And Trump doesn't get enough credit for that, that he was loyal and faithful to his working-class base, 
Biden is down by 20 points. Nothing much will change that will make this better. And if America goes into recession, it's still a possibility, if not a likelihood, it will only get worse. The same thing with Biden's age. And it's not about his age. Again, it's his mental acuity. Trump is only three or four years younger than Biden. But it, as we saw from running rings around the CNN town hall that he participated in, he still like him or hate him, sharp as attack in a way that Biden is not. So age has become uh, a polite way of discussing mental acuity. 60% of Democrats worry about his mental acuity because he'd be into his mid-80s in a second term. We don't want President von Hindenburg of the Weimar Republic running the country when we see wars in Ukraine, uh, Gaza, and China uh, casting its covetous eyes over Taiwan. And so it's a dangerous world, and we don't have time for a guy who can't read a teleprompter and might fall down at any given minute. Um, you can love your grandfather without wanting him to change the TV channels. We all go through this. I did this with my parents. I'm certain this will happen with me, that you're fine, 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 and then you hit a wall when you get older and you're not. Biden is the other side of the wall from Trump right now, and it's a huge difference. 61% of Democrats worry about his mental acuity. 70% of the crucial independent vote worry about his mental acuity. 80-some percent of Republicans worry about his mental acuity. And that will not get better. It will stay the same or it will get worse. Can you imagine Biden rambling or freezing up or making up stories as he so often does while he's angry in a debate? If there were one, my goodness, how long can they keep him away from the TV cameras? And that's not a good look when you're running for president. So we have the economy, we have mental acuity, we have the border where Biden has seemed to be rightly an abject failure as the southern border is porous to say the least. And so when you add all this up, none of these things are going to get better. They're only gonna stay the same or get worse. And now you have to add in another one, that the Democratic Party, unlike the Republicans, has real divisions over these Israel-Hamas um, war that we've talked so much about. And this is a key point to bring up, that the Republicans, and here I speak as a realist, realists and neocons disagree because neocons' attitude is like a bad John Ford film movie, and he made a lot of good ones, but a bad one. Uh, say that you shoot first and you ask questions later, that for neocons, the first order of business, and for realists, it's there as a tool, but always, always be the last order of business because war, as we've seen recently, is, is hell, as Sherman put it. It's all hell. And because it's so terrible, um, we should only do it when primary American interests are involved. Uh, neocons are much more promiscuous in their use of military force. And so this has been a dividing line between realists and neocons and the Republican Party. These are the battles that I fight every day. But over Israel, there aren't these divisions, because nobody's talking about the United States or wanting the United States, including the Israelis critically, to get involved directly militarily in the conflict between Hamas and Israel. And so suddenly the main dividing point between realists and neoconservatives in the Republican Party simply goes away. We all agree that yes, intelligence should be provided to Israel. Everyone agrees that Israel is a primary American interest because we have a special relationship with Israel in a way that we do with countries like the UK or the Anglosphere or Japan. Uh, we have a special relationship with these countries, countries in Europe, Western Europe. Um, and as a result of this, uh, it is a primary interest. So the United States should help Israel in every way short of war. If they want the Iron Dome 
anti-missile system replenished, the United States should do that. Realists agree, neocons agree. If they want intelligence, of course we should do that. If they want diplomatic cover in the UN, we should do that. If they want us to stand shoulder to shoulder with them, we should do that. So we have total agreement that Israel is a primary interest, that we should give them all aid short of war. Everyone in the Republican Party, for once, is united. And I can say this, that it's odd that broadly I'm in agreement with the neocons on an issue for a change. This is this 15% of the time that there's agreement, but it keeps the Republican Party unified politically as we move forward. This is very much not the case for the Democratic Party. And you see, for instance, Muslims, uh, Arab Americans and Muslim Americans make up about 5% cohort, which is a significant number of people in the swing state of Michigan. And if 5% of the Democratic cohort just stays home because they don't agree with Biden's policy in this region that matters intensely to them, game over. Game over. Michigan votes for Trump and the Republicans win. It's that simple. So this is a sort of Damocles hanging over the head of the Democratic Party as they go forward. And this is a huge problem that they have at the moment. And President Biden has been up to now, though he's beginning to waffle because of this politics, he has been forthright. He may have gotten all the strategy wrong leading up to this by trying to coddle Iran, giving them $6 billion. And Jake Sullivan, as you saw, proving why everyone hates the American establishment, writing in foreign affairs that everything was quiet, all quiet on the Western Front, everything's fine in the Middle East, and then getting a chance to correct his stupidities before in the in the online version, when in the print version, he made himself look like less than the glorious analyst his cheerleaders in the mainstream media had portrayed him. And this is why Americans hate their elite, because they don't play by the rules. They make analysis, as Sullivan did, that's laughably wrong, and then they try to cover it up. If only they were better at the analysis, they wouldn't need to cover it up. And this enrages me that in a republic, people are allowed to do this and not play by the rules. We need more merit. We need people who get things right and not are told that they're geniuses when they are constantly wrong, as Sullivan was about the Middle East. But saying all that on tactics, Biden came out reflexively from his background, his biography, very strongly for Israel. And he made that clear. And he has kept to that uh, rhetorical strength along the way. Well, this alienates the 20 to 25 percent of the left wing of the party, the progressive left, the college kids behaving so badly on campuses with their limited knowledge of history, but their surety that they're on its side. Uh, this outrageous generation of people who've been indoctrinated rather than learning anything. And I speak, my kids are great who I have as analysts, but they know infinitely less than my generation did. And that's not me being a middle-aged man saying this. This is a fact. If you don't know who the secretaries of state were in the 20th century, you can't do political risk analysis. You're just bluffing. Just like if you're a chemist and you don't know what a carbon atom is, you can't be a very good chemist. Let's stop pretending the kids know different things. This isn't a TED Talk out in California. This is reality. And they have sorely been uneducated as they cheerlead as though Israel were some sort of oppressors and that Western civilization is some sort of abomination when, frankly, it should be defended every single day as the miracle that it is. But certainly this is the case, as we've seen in horror on college campuses and among the progressive left, the 20 to 25 percent of the Democratic Party is furious that Biden is saying, well, Israel has a right to defend itself and go into Gaza. 
They're calling for a ceasefire, which would be nothing but a reward for Hamas, who just weeks ago committed barbarous acts that are nothing less than an abomination. The worst thing to happen to the Israelis since the Holocaust. I think that's clear. Gang rapes, burning people alive, decapitating people, terrorizing old people, taking hostages, and the left in America rips down the pictures of the people taken hostage. These are no-nothings, barbarians that we're dealing with, but they make up 20 to 25 percent of the Democratic Party. And by Biden rhetorically being in favor of Israel, these folks are outraged. And Biden is now trying to walk things back and say, well, I'm still for Israel, but I don't want to cease fire, but a pause would be nice. And, and the problem with the Democrats and Wilsonians in general is if you try to be all things to all people, you end up with everyone hating you. I've always thought this, that when I give a speech, for instance, if I'm for or against the death penalty, or I'm for or against gun control, or I'm for or against realism, one third of the room are going to love me, one third of the room are going to hate me, and one third of the room are there for me to win over. And my job is to ignore the third that love me, not the, 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 the groupie dumb. Not buy into the third that hate me for no reason other than I don't agree with them, but worry about the third in the middle and try to win them over through the power of my arguments, the passion of what I'm saying, the beauty of the language, and the logic underlying what I'm doing. But I do that from a position that everyone can respect, meaning I have opinions that I'm backing up. Biden is going to end up with the worst of all worlds here. He came out tactically strong for Israel. Now he's rowing back because of this 20 to 25 percent. If he's not very, very careful politically, he's going to end up alienating everybody in the Democratic Party. People who are for Israel, as he has been initially, will hate that he's rowing back. People that were against Israel and for Hamas initially, this progressive left are going to hate that he doesn't go far enough. He'll never go far enough for them. And so if he's not very careful by not holding to a position, which always struck me as ethically and morally the right thing to do, but also practically the right thing to do, you have a chance, as I said then, to win over two-thirds of the room if you bother. By not doing this, Biden is in danger of losing an awful lot of people on this key issue. And it wouldn't take many. The last point to make is in these battleground states, let's remember, we're talking about uh, just a sliver of votes in these five states that determine the difference, Arizona and Georgia and Pennsylvania and Michigan and Nevada, places like this, that it's just a sliver of votes, Wisconsin, the last. And 70,000 votes basically determine the election. It, does, it takes the change of only one integer out of all the many that I'm talking about for Biden to lose. So we've reached peak Biden, and there's a new peak Biden, which is his foreign policy is now in peak status and will only get worse politically from here on out as he tries to be all things to all men and ends up being nothing to anyone. So David Axelrod is right. They better shop as quickly as they can for a new candidate and somehow try to get Biden to, to agree. And everyone, by all accounts, by everyone I know who knows him and is close to him, he is stubbornly clinging to the fact that only he can beat Trump. Remember, most presidents live in a state of delusion. They end up isolated. And as Shakespeare points out, that's very bad for business as well as your mental health. So it will be very hard to convince him to see the door. But Axelrod is right to raise the alarm as these poll numbers in the battleground states tank. I'd end by saying, two months ago, in a call that made people laugh at us at the time, 
We've proven yet again, as we were right within days over Ukraine, as we called the last 2020 election perfectly down to a 50-50 tie in the Senate, as we called COVID correctly, as we called the problems in Iraq, the problems of neoconservatism, the problems of the financial crisis, the problem with Afghanistan, we told you so. Donald Trump, barring acts of God on either side by Biden or Trump, Donald Trump will be reelected the 45th president of the United States. You heard it here first two months ago. These poll numbers merely are another brick in the wall. Thanks very much. Hope you enjoyed this one. Please do subscribe if you haven't. So many of you have are overwhelmed at the moment because of the crisis. We always do better in times of, of trouble, which doesn't bother me because it's our teachable moment to try to help the world. Please do subscribe. And for those of you who have subscribed, please do give. We're only asking $70 a year, $7 a month, the price of one of my famed espressos uh, to get you over the line. So please do this. We'd be very grateful and we'll keep them coming as we continue to get the world right while others rewrite their wrong answers for foreign affairs. Thank you very much for the rest of the week. We will move on to in, um, Around the World in 20 Minutes. And, 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 and a huge treat on Friday, we're going to give you a sneak peek at the book. And this is very exciting that we've decided to give you a slightly edited version of the introduction of the book. The entirety of it will be online in written form at the end. So you can see where the last best hope will go. And again, I need all of you on January 10th to go to Amazon. Give me the five stars and say, can't wait to get it. And we master Jeff Bezos's algorithm um, and we hit the ground running. But we'll give you that sneak peek. Very excited to do that this Friday as we gear up for a very exciting stirring times for us as we try to make realism the new cement binding the Republican Party together. Because if we can change the Republican Party, we can change America. And if we can change America, we can change the world. Thanks very much.